Welcome to Mediation Station. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. Our topic tonight is moving from talk to walk to action within the justice system with our guest and visitor, Tanya Perlin. Do you remember Reed, uh, Rifka was here with yes. the two Wandas? Yes. Well, they came here to talk of what's called Bill 34 and uh, about children's law and the grandparents' right to yes. get enshrined in an act. We can talk about Bill 34 later. There's a lot of good in there, but there's a few things that are creeping me out, but that's a whole other Nevertheless, story. it was passed. Mm-hmm. I know. Thursday into law. I know. That's the beauty of a majority. So Rivka Zellen, who's yes. uh, one of the... Uh, People involved with Alienated Grandparents Anonymous, along with Wanda Candolini and Wanda Davies, who are here together. Actually, about maybe, what, I think uh, October, no, November 27th, I think it was. And they shared about uh, their hope that the bill would pass, because at that time it was second reading. Yes. So third reading, it passes, passed Thursday, now it's law. So it's been renamed to Children's Law Reform Amendment Act. Recognizing relationship with re- relationships with grandparents. So the key amendment now expressly provides that the court must consider the relationship between the child and the grandparent in determining a custody or access application. So, yeah. This was a private member's bill, meaning it wasn't presented by the government mm-hmm. sitting in power. And according to statistics, only 6% of... Uh, backbencher or private member bills actually pass so it's been a, it's a rare circumstance well, this time has come so the individual to uh who presented this through the uh, queen's park is uh, mpp michael mantha and uh, thus of course the uh, attorney general who uh you know what i guess stood in support of the bill yes which was needed anyways how was the drive long where were, where were you driving from just outside of london ontario Actually, not ontario. Uh, england right <laughs> yeah, boy my arms are tired yes um and as i told you in my text uh, on mid-route that's the cambridge part um i had actually factored in an hour plus with weather to to get here it didn't matter it didn't matter i can safely say it uh, i don't like driving on the 401 at 30 kilometers an hour because i've had my fill but you know what? I had I had a show. You were gracious enough to to uh, accommodate me. Thank you very much, Craig. And I will. Uh, mm-hmm. Now that it's winter, I I will make sure that I'm in city uh, on said uh, Sundays and maybe even in the northwest, so that uh, if there's any TTC shenanigans, I'll uh, I'll not be a victim therein. You know, that's just the reality of. Uh, I really don't want to start sleeping over uh, here or yeah, in or wherever. Yeah, if it may have to come to that. Let me know in advance, and <laughs> I can make sure the door is unlocked for you to come in and sit here. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So uh, we have a person sitting adjacent to you on your right. Remarkably, very accommodating. Yeah, and she's uh, listened to our banter a yes. little bit. Excellent. Very, very much enjoyed it, I think. <laughs> I, I can listen to it for the rest of the show, yeah. I think. No. Oh. <laughs> I, I, That's I, I not don't know. how we play. No, 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 no. You no, mean no. you came here just to listen to the us? Why not? You Chow, know, deflect chat? from me. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know who you are. By the way, is your name Tanya? Yes. Oh, yes, my Yes, it is. 
So Tanya Parlin is here. She's been waiting patiently. Okay. And uh, this is your first time. Yes. Well, welcome to uh, Thank Mediation you very Station. Much. Thank you. So we like to usually start off by introducing the person and giving them an opportunity to share some of their perspective in terms of who they are, their profile, their professional background. Can you share that with us? Yes, definitely. So thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. So my name is Tanya Perlin. I am a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for over 23 years in private practice. Have done, practiced many different types of laws from litigation. Um, I did debtor-creditor, uh, family law. Um, then I switched over to solicitor work. So I now do a lot of real estate and corporate commercial. I'm also a certified mediator. I'm an instructor. I have taught at universities and colleges. And now I'm trying to do whatever I can to help other people in the judicial system to have better access to justice at this point. Yeah, I mean, that word or that frame, access to justice, just from your perspective, what, what does that mean? Well, it's a very broad category, in my opinion, and we could talk the whole hour just for access to justice. But mm -hmm. in short form, I believe that access, most people have it but they don't always have access to justice. And if you have enough money, you will have access to the courts, and usually you will have access to justice. But this justice is not based on merit. It's based on whether you have enough funds to take you from A to Z. And unfortunately, a lot of people either run out of funds or they just don't have the funds to start. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, this is not justice. When you're practicing law and start with a client to learn of matters involved with them, how do you separate yourself as a person from you as a professional practitioner? Well, experience. It's taken a long time for me to be able to sometimes having to separate myself from getting personally involved in the emotional aspect of the client. But Usually, it's a very blurred line, and I like to be human with my clients. My clients need to feel that I'm a human being, that I have had experience, life experiences, and they're going to trust me more because they know that I've been through it. And a lot of my clients who come to me, they say to me, you're not just my lawyer, you're my friend, you're my confidant. Um, they share things with me that they wouldn't share with anyone else because they trust me. And this is the type of lawyer that I would want to have if I was on the other side of the table. Yes. And I hope that I can do that for my clients as well. I need to be genuine and they need to feel it. So you do incorporate compassion and empathy as part of your practice? Very much so. Very much so. Because a lot of the clients who come to me, they need that. They need to feel safe. And the only way they're going to feel safe is if they know that I am there for them mm -hmm. and that I've been through certain life experiences that I understand, not only sympathize, but empathize with them mm -hmm. in the particular situation. These are skills, though, that are not generally practiced or taught at law school. No, not at all. No, we encourage lawyers to be very aloof, very cool, calm, and collected. And this is a major problem because clients cannot relate to somebody who's a robot. Mm -hmm. And I, when I teach my students and when I mentor students, I tell them, we need to be human beings first. And maybe by doing that, the new generation of lawyers is going to come out and admit the fact that lawyers are humans, that they experience the same type of situations when they go home as their clients. Yes. And the clients are going to feel 
much better when they're coming for their services. So it's a matter of striking a balance. As the practitioner, you you obviously have your own needs and wants as well in terms of how well how you do it, how well you do it, what you get out of the experience. But at the same time, you also have to take that walk, that that walk for a mile in your client's foot, footsteps or shoes, if you will, yes. and be able to appreciate it from their perspective and sort of marry the two. So that at the end of the day, you're happy with what you do, you've given them the best work that you can, yes. and you're not drained from the experience while experiencing their, their, what they're going through. Absolutely. And it's the same as health, uh, sorry, healthcare professionals. Yes. You have to take time for yourself to regenerate, to recuperate. There's a lot of self-care that goes into lawyering. And we're trying to teach that to lawyers now and to say, you know what, when you're overwhelmed or when you're having anxiety or you're having to go through mental, issue, mental um, health issues, you need to take care of you and then you can take care of your client and that's something you know mental health issues um, have been a taboo subject for lawyers and only now we're starting to admit that it's there and we need to start a conversation this is very very important excellent you know I mean as mediators we are affected we're dealing with quote conflict all the time people's challenges their tensions and struggles and as a human being, when we hear all this stuff and we're part of it in some way, so we have to be connected to it. And at the same time, we have to find a way to separate ourselves so that we don't take ownership of their situations Absolutely. and their decision making. Absolutely. So it, it's a fine line it because is. many of us are affected by the struggles that we encounter or engage with in terms of the clients and the parties. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And that takes experience and training. That's why over time you get used to it and you create a fine line, an intuitive nature that leads you to the right decision and to how to treat your client and yourself at the end of the day. Perfect. Yeah, these are a lot of soft skills that... Uh, Absolutely. You know, you just can't teach to people. No. I think they more have to learn them, go through experiences, and then you bring it to light, you highlight it in some way so they can connect with that experience and then be more mindful of it, especially the, as they go through future ones. Absolutely. But you, you, can, ha you can mentor it as well to the say, younger lawyers, exactly. right? Exactly. If you can build the groundwork, yes. then they have something, a foundation on which they can build. They, yeah. they can see this, the signs and be able to steer themselves accordingly so that they're in the, better, the best position possible, exactly. both for themselves and their clients. Exactly. Agreed. What is it that keeps you involved in the practice of law? I've asked myself that many times. <laughs> Every morning, How recently? Actually. Two minutes before How you came to air? Two minutes before I came here, yeah. But you've got a big quarter century anniversary coming. I know. I have to stick it out at <laughs> least for that. <laughs> Absolutely. There's got to be a pin involved of yeah. some sort. So, something. Yeah. You yes, know, you, you have. Of... we're so, listening to sort of the blues right now, so I guess that matches to what we're talking about. But um, I've always, I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was 16 years old, and it sounds um, kind of weird, but it's true. And um, my great-grandparents from... Um, the former Soviet Union, they had law firms before the revolution. And their motto was integrity. And, you know, they did free services. They were probably in exchange for chickens or some sort of, <laughs> you know, vegetables or something like that. But they were there to serve their clients. And after the revolution, most of my family became, you know, accountants and engineers and economists. And when we came here, it was my father's dream that the family go back to having lawyers. And we now have overabundance. I've got a niece, a nephew, myself, a cousin in Los Angeles. We're like overdone now. <laughs> 
But um, I really wanted to help people. That was, you know, it sounds corny and it sounds strange, Not but to all. me, it was just something I knew I had the power to help people for those who didn't have a voice for themselves. I represented clients who didn't speak English well, who didn't have the background, you know, to go and fight for their rights. And that's what kept me going. And I still, as of today, I don't want to relinquish being a lawyer because I know I could still help. I could still do something. It's strange. By having this title, for some reason, people look at you differently. And they shouldn't. And I always tell people, just because I'm a lawyer and I called you, suddenly I get a result. But my client called and they couldn't get to you for the past six months. That pains me. Yes. And it shouldn't be this way. Mm -hmm. But if I can help, then that's what I do. Well, you know, the reality of perception yes. can be much more powerful than the reality of reality. Absolutely. You know, the underlying. And so... Sometimes it could be very positive, and other times, of course, it's misused when yeah. people use their persona to get uh, people to do other things that might not necessarily be in their best interest. Exactly. That's exactly true. As implied by the title of tonight's radio show, moving from thought to walk to talk <laughs> to action, <laughs> thought to walk to talk. We have a long title. Moving from thought to talk to action within the justice system. Yes. Our conversation is rooted in seeking how to inject and create for change within the justice system and how people's lived experiences with that can be better supported. What are the... You got through it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not there yet. What are some... Of, it's, it's the kicker. What are some of your thoughts regarding how people access justice? Well, as I said before... Most people have trouble accessing justice because they don't have enough money. Yes. So if you have a legal aid certificate, okay. If you are very wealthy, probably you'll be able to access the courts as well. But those who don't have enough money to get through the process, which is very long and very tedious and very, I would say, verbose in quotation marks because the documentation is just ridiculous. By the time you get to midstream, you may run out of money. So like I said in the beginning, you had your access, you've walked through the doors of the courts, but you have not achieved justice because you had to settle um, for something that you didn't deserve mm -hmm. because you've run out of money. So your result was not based on merit. It was based on the fact that you just needed to settle and get out. So again, to me, that's not justice. It's about survival. Yes, I mean, you got to get a reality check. If I'm not able as a client to continue into a process that I feel I've been wronged, either I, you know, if I don't have the funds, I got to go into debt. Yes. Or stop the process. Yes. And thus, access to justice is a real kind of nefarious kind of thing. I mean, justice, it, it connotes a sense that I'm going to get righted what was wronged. Yes. And just because you go through a process, and you access that, you know, whatever, the justice can look very different from every point of view. Absolutely. One's perception of justice is very different from person to person to person. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. And the, the expectation of what they're going to get at the end. Yeah, people get so entrenched with their principles. You know, we talked briefly yes, on we it, did. you know, before we went to air, and people are so that I've been wronged and the other person wronged me, and they have to now be somewhat punished in terms of writing that wrong thus you know that's exactly what the other side is saying yes mm -hmm. exactly and that's why it becomes so adversarial and positional and entrenched yeah and sadly a lot of us feel that 
whether that's what we feel personally or what's been promoted by mass media, if you will, that's what justice is, is almost <laughs> getting that revenge or, or yes. feeling like you've had, it's not even just enough to say your say, your day in court anymore. There has to be more. There has to be a certain yeah. resolution. Yeah. And, and that resolution sometimes involves punishment. People are waiting for that punishment. And that's not what you're there for, realistically. And I just want to do a quote, what I told Greg before we started. One of the judges, when I was very young lawyer, he said to me, counsel, there are no principles in law. There is only money. And that's exactly the truth of what we're dealing with now. It's very sad, but it's true. It comes down to resources. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we talk about access to justice at the same time. What is the major hurdle for most clients or potential clients is the the hourly rate of yes. a lawyer. Yes. And being a lawyer, I am sort of talking against myself, but I'm just the reality is that it some of the rates are just insurmountable. Uh, in order to start an action, you may have to put ten to fifteen thousand dollars as a retainer. And your claim may be fifty thousand. So it becomes disproportionate. The fee becomes disproportionate to the results. And yes, lawyers do a lot of work, and it's very difficult. But at the same time, we need to come to some sort of solution where we can balance the client's desire to continue, the merits of the case, and the lawyer's hourly rate, so that at this point, we can get to the merits and to the so-called justice mm -hmm. that we're all looking for. And in inject a higher probability of collaboration absolutely. as part of the process. Absolutely. If you have mediation, like we know we have mandatory mediation now in the courts, mm -hmm. which a lot of lawyers have fought tooth and nail. They didn't want to go or they still don't want to go. But, you know, I found it being a certified mediator and having mediated for the courts, a lot of cases have actually been mediated, resolved and settled and did not have to continue on to clog up the courts and waste the client's money. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think it's a great thing, not in every case, but in the majority of them, this is collaborative work in mediation is amazing. You feel as if um, the courts could be last resort if given yes. the opportunity for other options that are not quite so tied to, mon to monetary? Well, you know, the template is that the justice system is the default for decision-making in society. Yes. Where the justice system that we're talking about is not necessarily inclusive and accessible for people to get the outcomes that they truly need and want. Exactly. It's more like in the community. So, you know, Brian and I are from the community-based approach of decision-making. Yes. Where we feel the strength and ownership rests within the individual, within the community and that the court can be seen as an option, not the default. And I agree with that. I think, I think that would be a very good approach. Let's keep it going for, because we've got to take a break and uh, it's not, no point introducing a new question. Fair enough. So in terms of your own, you know, you, you coach people, you mentor people? I do coach and mentor. That's uh, from the self-rep navigators and from the self-represented litigants groups. My job is not more like a lawyer, but more of a support and an advocate. So a lot of clients, they don't know how to talk to their lawyers properly. They get intimidated or they just want someone to hold their hand as they're going through the courts. And that's my job because I have been both a litigant and I'm a lawyer. I've seen it from both sides. 
and I think I am a good person to basically take them on an emotional supportive um, or take on an emotional supportive role rather than just um, a lawyer or legal role. Mm -hmm. Tanya, what are some of the experiences you have gone through either as a client or as a practitioner? Well, as a practitioner, I've had clients, um, I've had a client who've had um, a litigation uh, from the time my daughter was born to when she turned seven. <laughs> it was seven years, and it was one of my first litigation cases, which was um, an amazing experience, but it went from small claims to superior court, which at that time was general division, and it even went to federal court. Wow. Only because two partners didn't share the same view, and one decided, like we said, to punish the other. And how did he punish him? To put him through the court system on every single level. At the end of the day, um, both parties didn't have any more money to continue. They actually resorted to mediation. Mediation was successful after seven years, which could have been done two years down the road, a year down the road, but they just were not ready to mediate. At the time when they finally, everyone ran out of money, they said, yes, we will now continue to mediate. Mm -hmm. And so that was the result. Um, the court system was very long, very expensive, obviously, and this is exactly what perfect example of what we've talked about. Um, in my personal experience, I have gone through the family court system, unfortunately, a very high conflict divorce. And of course, I noticed I myself um, had um, found that it was a very long and tedious process. Every time we thought we were at an end, something new would come up, something, a new motion, new documents, perhaps disclosure that wasn't properly done. And every time there was improper disclosure, I was forced to go to another motion in court, another $10,000 retainer, another day in court, and stress and energy and so forth. And so by going through that, I realized that there is no need to have so many motions, to have um, so many different judges look at your case file, not knowing what was there three years ago, and now mm -hmm. looking at it only in the time period of 15 minutes that they see you, and rendering orders that are completely from left field. We never understood where they were coming from. They were not based on rules. They were not based on case law. I was going into the motion thinking I would win because I knew the law and so did my lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I would get a completely different result. And a lot of the results came from the fact that I was a lawyer. Many times the judge would tell me, Miss Perlin, you're a lawyer. You should know better. And what does that mean per se? You should know better. You should know better. You shouldn't uh, be, um, let's say you, well, let's be honest. <laughs> One judge told me, you married this man, it's your problem now. <laughs> so, so you don't should come, know better. Don't come to the courts looking for... Uh... Don't come to the courts looking for solutions mm -hmm. because you're a lawyer, you should have known better how to protect yourself, and now, too bad for you. Right. So I was also threatened with contempt of court because I was a lawyer. And again, I came asking for further disclosure mm -hmm. that I was entitled to, but did not receive. And again, the judge looked at me and said, Ms. Perlin, you're not allowed. You know as a lawyer that you should do X, Y, Z before coming here. And, you know, motion denied. So I found, and I couldn't understand why, but being a professional was actually a detriment to my being a litigant in court. And I think that's why a lot of my, you know, it took me that long <laughs> to get to where I had to go at the very end. Though, you know, 
from what you talked about earlier and bringing humanity into the profession yes. in terms of your approach, compassion, empathy, and that it resonates much greater with the clients. And that's rooted in your own lived experiences of journeying through the justice system itself. Absolutely, because the things that I saw, a lot of people don't even believe that I actually had to go through. Mm -hmm. And I asked myself sometimes, why did I go through all those experiences? And when it was the end, I said, well, because now I can help other people at every stage of their proceeding and explain to them that sometimes the result is not what you expect, yes. but it is what it is. And then you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, and you go forward. Well, kudos for you for thinking in that way. It would have been you. very easy to say, right, I'm done. Um, I've suffered enough. But you realize for the perilous journey you've taken, you thought of all the others that have gone through similar experiences or would go through and realize, well, if I can help them through that, so much the better. The problem is when I was sitting in court to get to the motion to get to my turn, I would see a lot of women like me. They had the same stories. We all had different faces, but we had the same stories. Mm -hmm. We were all fighting for our children. We had husbands who for some reason decided that they wanted custody of our children when they were never interested in them in the first place, deflecting from the fact that we needed to divide assets. It wasn't an issue of custody or visitation. It was an issue of dividing assets. But by the time the custody situation was done, which took two and a half to three years, believe it or not, I personally did not have any more money to continue to divide the assets. Mm. And neither did a lot of the women that I saw in court and my future clients who have come to me since then. And that should never happen. It's we also, should never allow this. It's also a could be a strategy that's employed by one side against the other to, yes, drain the, the resources. It's also to drain the energy, the mental energy absolutely the emotional energy absolutely you're tired of fighting yeah you just want it to yeah. go away and yeah. and when you're attacking a very sensitive portion when you're a mother and your children are being attacked you're going to defend and you're going to do everything possible to keep your kids and at the end of the day you're absolutely right when the emotional energy is drained and the financial resources are done then all you can do is settle and say i just want peace now and um my older daughter actually said to me, Mom, I get it why you gave up, that you finished it. It wasn't a giving up. You finished so we can get on with our lives. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people couldn't understand why I didn't pursue it further. But six years was enough so that my life could start again. So I'm going to be directive in asking you, why did you decide? You know, we, we connected. You reached out to me because we know a mutual person. And that uh, from a conversation we had, you said now is the time in some way that you're looking to share about your lived experience. I always believe there's a time for everything. And after about four years of my litigation being over, it was time for me to go out and to say, here I am. I've gone through hell, but I've survived. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I want you to know that you all can survive too. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm not saying it because I feel like it. I'm saying it because I've lived it. Yes. And I've accomplished it. And I'm here also because I have been fighting for four years through legislation, through my MPs and MPPs and a change of government to try to get some changes in the court system so that we wouldn't have to be faced with this prolonged agony 
in divorce or in any other litigation. We need to have a streamlined system so that we can get justice and we can get to the merits of the case. I didn't get to trial because of all the little hurdles I had to go through. I would have loved to get to trial so that I could get my day in court, as you say, yes. and my justice. What, why does the concept of change seem to be so counterintuitive with how matters proceed through the justice system? Because the law is very slow in changing. <laughs> the wheels of justice turn very slowly. And so whatever our logic dictates, it doesn't seem to be the logic that the courts see. And that's why we need to start conversations. We need to talk about what's happening in the courts. You know, when I was in law school um, taking psychology, there's this concept called NIMBY, not in my backyard. <laughs> So guess what? Because it's not me and I'm not affected and I'm not being sued, let me just not think about it. But you know what? If we don't think about it and if we don't open the conversations, who is going to stand up and help the people who are in that system, who are going through that trouble and don't have the power or the energy to fight? So let's take the NIMBY out of it and let's put it in our backyards. And maybe when we do get to court, and it will be you in front of the judge, you won't have to put up with that. But, and that's my main But message. people struggle with making themselves vulnerable. In some way, that's making yourself vulnerable. You're making yourself vulnerable tonight Absolutely. by sharing your story. Yet Absolutely. It's, but you're, you know this, and you want to... And I, I would say with the word you used before, your survivor, I would, and I'm not trying to minimize what you said, I would say you're... You've conquered, you're, you're persevere. You've journeyed beyond the survivor mode. Thank you, yes. And I actually feel, I, I don't like to call myself a survivor. Mm -hmm. I would just say, yes, somebody who has gone through the battle, has won and has come out on top. Mm -hmm. That's the key, because survivor makes me feel a little bit. It's a certain I, level, right? It's, it's a different just, level. Exactly. Just a minimal level. Yeah. Yes. Yet you've, I, I believe you've elevated yourself from where you were before. Yeah. You've taken it as a, a negative and you're turning, turning it into a positive. Yeah. And I just want to say it's not just me. There are a lot of women who are doing exactly that, who have been through much worse experiences than me. Wow. And they have turned it into a positive. Very brave and very, you know, I, I take my, my hat off to them. So it's not just me. <laughs> It's a lot of us. What is unique about the experience of women who have, ex who have experienced domestic violence in their relationships and then journey through the justice system? The uniqueness is that the courts do not recognize abuse. And so wow. divorce is horrible as it is. But when you have to face your abuser during your motions, when your abuser is asking for custody of your children and saying that you're alienating them, and the courts are ordering you to go and have counseling with the abuser because they say you need to create a parenting plan. 
Because these are policies. We talked about logic of the court system mm. and the law. This is not logic when you're taking an abused person, putting them in the same room as their abuser and saying, why don't you come up with a parenting plan? And if you can't do it today, well, then we will report to the court that you're not participating. And one of you is going to be in contempt. How do you do this to a person who has gone through trauma and you are re-traumatizing her for the next two or three years with a threat of contempt, with a threat of alienation, which is a concept we can talk about another time if I'm ever invited back. You don't do things like that to victims of, I don't want to say victims, or people who have gone through abuse. Mm -hmm. So you, we need to have judges, we need to have a system that will recognize if the woman has gone through abuse, how are we going to make it better for her within the court system so she's protected, not just physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, because we have to remember, it's not just physical abuse. There is psychological, mental, financial, there's all kinds of abuse that the courts just don't even want to think about. And one thing I wanted to mention, when women are in court, they are told that if they show emotion because their children are being threatened, that they will lose the case. Mm. You must have a face that is non-emotive. Mm. You must be calm in court. And when your kids are being threatened, you as a mother, for some reason, illogical justice system reasoning is telling you, I must sit there and just smile because that's the way I am. No, we're not. We have emotions. We're mothers. We're going to fight for our kids. And that's what the courts have to realize. Yet the court, is it dominated by males? <laughs> we would think yes at this point. I unfortunately mean, or fortunately but yes i mean we each have a different mindset of approach of course each individual has regardless all males are not the same and all females are not the same absolutely that's not the thing it's just that tradition you know law is a and justice is a very traditional profession yes and system and it's ironic too that many politicians are former lawyers and so the people who make policy decisions as part of government practice and implementation are people who come from a system that's very slow absolutely. to affect change. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I hate to say the fact that we're experiencing because it's a predominantly male system, because we are going away from just male system to more of a balance. Mm -hmm. And I also want to say there are a lot of amazing politicians and judges, male and female, who have really gone into the forefront to fight f for what they believe. But we need to create more of a balance, you know, more of the feminine and the masculine in order to get a better approach to policy and to our laws. Yeah, just as a male myself. I mean, my mother is my role model, my ideal. Uh, she passed away, yet she's the legacy of, of why I am and do what I do. Who you are, yeah. So I give her you know, credit for being able to, for me to connect with that, to pass on whatever I can in terms of working yes. with others. Yes. And I think that shows in the way we have communicated and the things that we've talked about. And right. I think that shows. And that's just kudos to your mom. Tanya, what are some of the things that you would like to see happen for there to be more accessible processes of decision, decision making, excuse me, within the justice system? Well, a lot of reports have been written on how to have better access to justice. Um, unfortunately, I don't think any of these reports have actually been put into action. 
So I would say, in my opinion, and some lawyers would disagree with me, that there should be perhaps a triage system where as soon as the claim goes to court, it's assessed. Because right now you can sue anybody you want, and the only way it's decided whether it has merit is if the defendant defends and then you go forward. Mm -hmm. Here it would be great to have someone look at the court file, look at the application or the statement of claim and make a decision. Should it go forward? Is there something more that's necessary to complete the file? For example, in family court, you need to provide your financial disclosure. If the financial disclosure is not properly done, then it stops. You tell that whichever party didn't provide it properly, you need to bring it in. And if you don't, you cannot make any further motions or applications to the court. You cannot ask for any more um, recourse from the court until everything is done. And if you don't provide it within a certain period of time, then your um, defense is out or your claim is out. You get a punishment. And that would save hundreds and thousands of dollars. Another thing this triage system could do is say, you know what, the disclosure statement is invalid or it's ineffective or it's incomplete. If you don't provide it, maybe we will be notifying the CRA because something doesn't look right. And how many hundreds and thousands of dollars in taxes are we going to save mm -hmm. by getting CRA to know that, oops, something's not exactly kosher here. Mm -hmm. So I think that would save a lot of money. It would streamline our system a little bit further. Um, and then creating, like we have in Simplified Procedure, where you go from you know, the, the statement of claim, you don't get discoveries, you go straight to trial. So things of that nature, just make it simpler, make it easier and less expensive for us to continue this access to justice. <laughs> it, it just seems to be that so many things are injected into the system to create more uh, complication for the everyday person. Yes. Rather than make it more client-centric. Absolutely. And it's like where the system itself wants to retain total ownership of the process where less influenced by the public or the client as yeah. part of the creating that change that could be more beneficial for the client etc. Absolutely, because the forms are very difficult to understand and even the websites that are sometimes um, catered towards the self-represented litigants are so complex that I, I personally, when I did a test run of it, I just gave up because there was too much to read and too many arrows and too many things to navigate mm. that I just gave up. I couldn't do it. So yes, more user-friendly if we want to do part of the litigation on our own. I dare say lawyers need to remember that uh, if it wasn't for clients, they would be out of work. That's exactly <laughs> true. You know what? That, that's so a great please. thing for people to remember. Absolutely. Yes, lean, I agree. Lean more towards customer service. It's yes. you know, <laughs> Happy clients are a good thing. Yeah. Um, what, that's true. What role do you see yourself playing as part of the change happening within the justice system? Well, the same role as I'm playing now. I would like to continue the conversation. I'd like to stop hiding behind closed doors and the NIMBY and, uh, you know, being a lawyer. And I just want to talk. And I know there's so many litigants like me who want to tell their story and who want change to happen. And there are a lot of amazing lawyers who are also litigants like me who are sharing the story. And this is the contact that Greg and I have had as well, who who's trying to, to do good for mm -hmm. other people. She went through a very 
uh, long litigation herself and is trying to do good for others. Very good. What would you like others to learn from your own experiences, Tanya? I would like others to learn that they don't have to be afraid. I was very scared when I was a litigant. I was scared because my lawyer scared me. I was scared because I thought I was going to lose my children for no reason. I was scared that I would be left with nothing. And I want to tell people that if you trust yourself and your intuition, you will get through this. Because a lot of people were telling me a lot of different things and they were trying to scare me out of the process including judges who were saying to me, settle, settle now. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster. Oh, dear. And we always tell our clients, the main thing we say, never settle unless you have full financial disclosure. Mm -hmm. And yet judges were telling us to settle when we didn't have it. So listen to your gut and never be afraid because there's nothing to be afraid of. That is the main thing. It's afraid of your own sense of lack of confidence exactly in some way exactly so it's helpful to have someone journey along with you Absolutely. to help support you yeah. through that uh, situation of change and that is why with the self-represented navigators and the self-represented litigants i want to give that type of service to people so they know they're not alone mm -hmm. so when they feel afraid i could tell them you know what i've been through this you can get through this too mm -hmm. don't give up don't give up that's the main message. Provide that sense of guidance that yes. others have gone before you. Yes. They've survived the experience. They've yeah. progressed themselves personally and professionally. Yes. You can too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, we're very, it's difficult for us as a species to, to go to un, um, unknown territory. We're not very good at it. No, because we want to have control. Very much so. Yeah. And for me as a litigant and a lawyer, you can imagine how disastrous that was. That's the downside yes. of being the dominant species. It's like, exactly. what do you mean it's new? What do you mean it's, it's something that's not been done? But oh no, that can't happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. so yes, you want somebody there to mentor you and to hold your hand and to tell you it's okay. And I wish I, I had that. I did have it with some friends, but there are people who didn't really go through what I did. So that's what I would love for other people to know and to have. Yes. Alma Moore is an insider, a lawyer going through all this. The rest exactly. of us are probably like, you're kidding me, right? No. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of people asking me, are you kidding me? You're a lawyer and you <laughs> went through this? What? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to tell them there are a lot of judges and lawyers who are going through this and nobody knows. Wow. And we need to stop hiding because this is not an embarrassment. It's life. And we need to talk about it. So if people want to connect with you to learn more or to be involved in some way, how can they do so? So you can contact me uh, on my business line, which is 416-225-5424 or my email, which is my name, Tanya, T-A-N-I-A dot Perlin, P-E-R-L-I-N at gmail.com. And I also have a website they can go to, www.tanyaperlin.com. What do you see as your next step? To continue talking. You have given me an amazing opportunity to speak and to hopefully reach an audience. And I just want to continue the conversation. I'll put this back. You've, put your, you've given yourself this opportunity. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the confidence. <laughs> Absolutely. You see how it, at the beginning, before you came, when you came with your posse out in the other room. Yes. <laughs> and like you get caught up in the conversation, right? And you just get engaged in it. Yes. And how rewarding that can be. It's wonderful. It's, it's a really empowering process. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you both. And thank you for committing, too, to with the uh, weather outside. Oh, oh yes. please. That's a given. That's a given. <laughs> if you teach again, see if you can incorporate that into the curriculum, what you've, what you've experienced and what you've learned, so that you can lay the groundwork as soon as possible with the next yes. generation. Agreed. Okay, Agreed. so we got to say thank you very much. And we'll see thank you again here. I hope so. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Yes, next week. Boys, get to bed. Daddy loves you. All right. Have a good night. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, Canada's first ethnic and community radio station.